The show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now, I present to you the one, the only, Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. I have the incredible, the amazing Paul Glover here today. And for those who don't know who Paul is, he is the no BS workplace legacy coach, a recovering trial lawyer, an ex-felon, an unabashed Starbucks addict, the author of Workquake, making the seismic shift to knowledge economy, a Chicago Bears fanatic, a speaker on legacy leadership, and a member of the Forbes Coaching Council. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Paul. Paul, tell us what is the biggest, most badass uh, personal and professional accomplishments you're most proud of? Well, first, Andrew, thank you for the introduction. Obviously, it's a mouthful. Uh, and to answer your question, well, the, the first thing that I look at is the, uh, the opportunity to, to succeed and overcome was surviving through five and a half years of incarceration. Uh, and that was my biggest accomplishment. Uh, uh, the second biggest accomplishment, which is tied into this one, is the ability to overcome that setback and build a national coaching practice uh, over the last 25 years. So I went from very successful trial lawyer in the federal court system in the city of Chicago to a convicted felon to a uh, executive coach. That's quite the journey. <laughs> so so I, I love I love kind of doing like the superhero journey. You know, obviously, you, you uh, when you watch a superhero movie, like before they fall into the vat of acid and the gully superpowers, like how the heck do they get to that vat of acid in the first place? So let's talk about how the heck did you become a convicted felon or what, what, what happened there? Love, love to hear more about that. Well, first, I'm a, I'm a true believer because I think that everybody has a hero's story, a hero's journey, uh, because we all face adversity, setbacks. Some of them are self-inflicted. Uh, mine were. Uh, I, uh, I was uh, very successful as a, uh, a trial lawyer, but I did labor and employment law, and I associated with bad people. And uh, I have significant blind spots, and uh, I would have not agreed that I did, by the way. I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> and I wanted, but one of my blind spots, uh, and continues to be, by the way, you don't get rid of your blind spots just because you recognize them. What you do is you control them so you're not triggered by them. The triggering is the bad behavior that the blind spot requires uh, for you to do so that you can fulfill that, that void. Uh, and one of my voids was I needed to belong. And because of the uh, people that I represented and uh, I hung around with, they were bad guys. And I mean, really bad guys. And the price of admission to that club was you had to be a bad guy. And that means that uh, you had to commit crimes. You had to be bad. And I did. Uh, that's how much I craved belonging to this particular group. Uh, and I know that that's junkie. Trial lawyers are adrenaline junkies. And this was a crew, this was a group that constantly had things that were exciting, even though they were illegal, and they satisfied that adrenaline need that I had, as well as acceptance, belonging. Uh, and so uh, that created the issues that caused me to, uh, to be found guilty 
of 33 counts of federal crimes, uh, taking kickbacks, bribes, and threatening government witnesses, and going to prison with a seven-year sentence, getting out in five and a half years. Uh, so it, it was that. And as a part of what I do as a coach is I bring that ability to uh, do the gift of truth because I believe that all leaders, everyone, by the way, every person, but, but especially leaders have blind spots and they don't know what they are because by definition, they're blind spots. But those blind spots create the destructive behavior for themselves, uh, their family, and also their organization, their team. And without someone who has the psychological safety as well as the uh, ability to point out a blind spot and to point out bad behaviors, they don't change. So the reality of going from that realization in prison that this was a skill set that I had to be able to be a giver of truth and be able to have the guts uh, to do it. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm an assertive guy. As a trial lawyer, it was a part of my persona. It's still a part of my persona. And I could take that and when I engaged in a coaching situation with a leader, uh, I would be able to first uh, tell when they were bullshitting me. <laughs> I build myself as a no BS, no BS uh, performance coach. And that's because as a, uh, as a trial lawyer, you have a finely attuned antenna for bullshit. Uh, and you need to identify it because first, your client never tells you the truth. So you find out the real truth when you hear the other side story. Uh, but you still have to be aware of that. And also when you're doing uh, witness examination, You've got to be able to ascertain when someone is lying to understand. So anyway, I had a I've got a very specific uh, skill set of experiences and education and training that allows me to suddenly be very successful uh, as a coach. Oh my gosh, it's such an amazing story! And obviously, there's so many directions we could go in. And one of the first questions I'm curious about, obviously, you know. I also agree that we live in a world of, of bullshit. <laughs> you know, people are more than happy to, um, you know, say fluff about things, not get to the point. What is, when you're working with clients, um, what do people usually BS with you about the most that you're like, cut it out right now, stop it? Like, what is it that people try and put out or create a mask of that you're able to see right through and immediately get to the point, essentially? Well, well, every client that I've ever had wants me to like them. <laughs> and it's not my job to like them. Uh, we're not going to have a personal relationship. I could not coach. If you ever, you ever try to coach someone who's close to you, it doesn't work well. Uh, my, my coaching, my wife, I, I should get a slap because <laughs> she's accepting it. She's like, stop, stop already. So, so the reality is... The, the concept of coaching, just like leadership, is, is, two, is two facets. One, there's a professionalism to it. There is a personal aspect to coaching, but it never gets intimate. So there are boundaries that have to be put in place. But people in the coaching program immediately want me to like them. And we have to establish the parameters of the relationship based not on liking, but on helping. One of my clients actually refers to me as a Sherpa. He, tell, he said to me, or he said as a testimonial, he said, Paul will help you get to the mountaintop, but he will not carry your pack. 
So the reality is we make a commitment in the coaching process that we're going to, to agree on what the mountaintop looks like. We're going to put together an action plan so that we can get there together. And I'm going to make a commitment to you and you're going to make a commitment to me that we're going to go on this journey. And it's going to be a hard journey. By the way, I've never, because I, I structure the coaching process as going on the hero's journey with the person I'm coaching. And one of the things I stress with them is there is no hero's journey without adversity. If we're talking about Little Red Riding Hood, without the wolf, it's just a walk in the woods. We need adversity and that's a part of our journey but the reality is you have to first understand there is going to be adversity and second it is going to require a commitment of time and energy and resources to overcome the adversity to get to the top of the mountain and it's that level of commitment that is usually lacking in most coaching relationships so i immediately can smell when somebody is not committed mm. and that's when we have the we have the talk I'm not wasting my time. I am a legacy coach. That means that I don't care about the short-term results. They only are a part of the legacy concept, the legacy journey. A journey is not a day. A journey may be five years, maybe 10 years. We're going to talk about that in the, in, in the long term. And that means that, that I can't handle your daily bullshit when you're not doing what you said you were going to do. That's how we start. And that is that is once we have an action plan every other week we're going to talk about that action plan and if you have failed to do what you committed to do for that two-week period we're going to have the talk and the talk is I, and by the way so you understand i believe i have to have skin in the game and i do uh, my compensation is set up so 50 percent of my compensation only occurs at the end of our journey usually 12 months wow. and then you we, we redo or we don't so so at the end of the 12 months we have had to accomplish what we set out as our three priorities that we're going to accomplish together and if we don't do that i don't get paid that money needless to say i have motivated <laughs> yeah I like my money. I like seeing, uh, by the way, you don't coach if you don't want to help people. The whole concept is I want to help people get better. I want them to realize their potential. And people who come into the coaching process have got to be willing to want to do that. The hardest person to coach is someone who's successful. Because when you say you're going to have to change to reach your potential, they're like, well, wait a minute, I'm already successful. Do I want to work that hard? That's the question always. Are you willing to commit to what, the, by the way, transformation and change is hard. And it requires time, effort, and commitment. And that's where we, that's where every coaching process with me starts. I love that. And I, I love the, the Sherpa and the Mount Everest example you had too, because I think I read online, like people don't realize if you actually want to climb Mount Everest, it, I believe it costs a minimum $50,000, which, yeah. which is, which is crazy. Like spending $50,000 to put yourself in a situation that could literally kill you. <laughs> um, yeah, very strange. <laughs> and so going back to like the coaching industry, like, yeah, investing in yourself, 
can be pricey, but you know that that mountaintop is something you've always wanted to achieve. You've always wanted to have, you can forever say, I did that. I accomplished that. Oh, and it was so awesome having Paul Glover help me along the way. Um, and, and so I love that. And, and real quick too, uh, what is your favorite example of a client you've helped to get from A to B or A to Z um, within that 12 month period or, or any period you want to name? Well, it, and it's uh, obviously within the 12 month period. I, some of my, some of my coaching relationships are actually eight years long as oh, bizarre wow. as that. Well, but, but, but again, when you think about what you want to accomplish, uh, so my, my favorite client and the one that I always love is the one that we started off and the company was 250 million. And at the end of our five year coaching, it's a billion dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and I coached not only the owner, but also the executive team. And I don't do group coaching, by the way. But obviously, if there's executives that are required that need coaching, that's great. So that was my largest economic uh, coaching experience. Right. And uh, do they all uh, go that direction? Of course not. Uh, but I primarily uh, operate within family businesses. So the reality is to what I really want to see happen, because when we talk about legacy with family businesses, we're often talking about transfer of power because one generation is leaving the stage. One generation is on the stage. And if it's a successful family business, another generation is starting to move onto the stage. So we have a continual revolving level of, of power transfer. And by the way, uh, people who are founders hate to give up their power. Uh, don't we all? I yeah. mean, this is my company. I built it from nothing. And now my son, who is in the business, wants me to leave. So the coaching process for me with family businesses is the most satisfying, but also the most impactful is when there is a peaceful transition of authority right yeah because because family businesses are often quite dysfunctional and and they can be that doesn't mean they're not successful by the way but they can be dysfunctional so yes i and i've i've done that well there's been four transitions to third generation and so i've been a part of transition from first to second from second to third uh, and those are remarkably rare and they really, they really, if you want, if you want to test it's whether or not you are, you are a good coach, that's where you get your test. That's being battle hardened, by the way, <laughs> because there are competing interests that somehow have to be brought together. And everybody goes, well, that is, is that a coach's job? Why wouldn't it be a coach's job? Yeah, no, and I, that, that is a, yeah, I know it's tricky about the coaching industry is like, you know, like you said, like all you can do is, is be a Sherpa along the way. You know, you, you can't do that work for them. You can't uh, <laughs> create their mind. Well, you can help with their mindset, but at the end of the day, you know, that they have to be in control of their mindset too. So being part of that process. Um, so I'm curious, going back uh, in time again, so 
who you are, you're, you're a successful uh, um, trial lawyer, but you got caught up in a group of quote unquote bad people that ended up sending you to prison. Um, what part in that journey you're like, you know what, I, when you got out of prison, I'm going to be a successful coach, uh, make a full-time income as a coach. Cause that's, that's tough to do. You know, uh, not everyone can be full-time coaches and especially being an ex-felon <laughs> coach. Like I'm sure it scared a lot of people away going, Hey, can I coach you? By the way, I used to be in prison for five years. Like, so <laughs> tell, tell us about that. <laughs> well, of course you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and I did not, uh, I, I guarantee you, I didn't choose to be a coach. If I had my my preferences, I would have continued to be a trial lawyer. I loved being a trial lawyer. I love it. Trial lawyer, being a trial lawyer in federal court is the closest thing to hand to hand combat. Wow! Uh, if you're ever going to get in and not be in hand to hand combat, uh, but you've got you've got a worthy opponent because when you're practicing in the federal courts, you are an experienced. A litigator. It, it, this is not amateur time. This is the pros. I, I and by the way, I, the, the people who practice in state court, absolutely, it's just a different deal to me. So I always look at the state courts was college, and the uh, the federal courts was the pros. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, every every state court attorney is now going to be hating on me for saying <laughs> that because by, by the way, that doesn't mean they're bad at their job. It's just a different type of job. Mm-hmm. And, and so federal court was the, the epitome. Uh, I actually was also an appellate court, federal appellate court attorney, but that, that's different. That's more writing. Uh, it's not, it's not the cross examination examination that takes place in a, in a federal court trial. Uh, and I love the jury. I, I wanted, and so all of that was my skill sets. I mean, I, I, critical thinking is essential for being an attorney. But I also figured out that if I wanted the the jury to go to side with my client, because that's what I am, I became the avatar for my client, and they would identify my client through me. I was going to frame that my client through the story that I told the jury. So I became a very persuasive storyteller, uh, and I wanted the jury, jury, the jury to go on the hero's journey with my client, and I was going to be the guide. And so I had a couple of really interesting skill sets. One was critical thinker. One was a very persuasive storyteller, and communication to me is based on meaningful communication is based on a leader telling the people he wants as a part of his team, a story. And it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be a story that, that draws them in, that engages them, that they feel they're a part of. So when I got out uh, and I said, these are my skill sets, what am I going to do with them? And I decided that this would be something I tried. I, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I do, did know I was never going to practice law again. So options for somebody who's in their 50s, who's an ex-con, uh, the, the job market is not overwhelming with opportunities. You make your own. Uh, and I made my own. I developed a program and I marketed myself and finally got somebody who said, yeah, I, I, I'm willing to accept you for who you are because of your approach. No BS. I mean, that, that was, what was I going to say? I'm soft and cuddly. By the way, I went to prison. <laughs> yeah. Years. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And hang on that, so soft and cuddly. <laughs> exactly. So, so I said, this is who I am, and this is what I do. 
And the guy said, all right, let's try it. And it worked really well. And all my business has been all referral from then on. Wow. Uh, and, and that's because I'm successful at what I do. If you're willing to tolerate what I do. Yeah. I, I, it's, and that's the deal. I have people who come in, 80% of the people who are referred to me never enter my program. Wow. We, we figure out immediately that this is not going to work. And I'm fine with that. The last thing I want is someone who is is not committed to 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 engage with me. It's a waste of my time and their resources. So so let's see, we 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 get that out of the way. We have that serious talk about commitment, and we structure a one page contract that says, when you sign this, you are committing to twelve months. If we if you stick it out and we don't get to where we're good, we're, we want to go. I don't get half my pay. By the way, if you bail, you pay me everything. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, that's commitment. And that's, if that scares you, don't get in the program. <laughs> Just, uh, and, and from then on, I expect you to be authentic, vulnerable, and we're going to create legacy. I love that. And, and I'm curious. Um, <laughs> You know, because being in the coaching space myself, I, I know sometimes that, you know, we, we could be hard on ourselves as coaches, like, oh, darn, our client didn't get the result they wanted. Um, but And how, how much responsibility do we take? It sounds like you've mastered the art of, you know, resiliency, obviously, and then commitment. So tell me about when you're testing someone's level of commitments, how do you calculate that? How much responsibility do you take for creating commitment from someone? Uh, I'm curious about that. Well, the first thing that we're going to do is establish your three priorities for us to work on. And uh, the first thing I get from people is, well, I've got more. I understand that. Let's try. Let's take three first. Mm-hmm. Because I, I found out that if we do a fourth priority, it dissipates attention. Yeah. We can handle three, right? And normally one of those is a personal commitment to do something because legacy goes outside your profession you've got a personal life that there's a legacy at, at a part of it is a legacy so we look at at high-end results you know like i said if the only reason you want to be in the coaching process is to be a better speaker you need to find somebody else if we're talking about legacy we're talking about the the holistic approach to you as a leader and what you are trying to accomplish so that five years from now, when you decide to leave the stage, when you're ready to hand off, you've created something of value that you're proud of. And that requires that every day you focus on those three priorities. So we talk an awful lot about not being distracted. We talk about committing the time and energy to the items that lead to the legacy that we're building together. And that means that we start to learn how to say no. And we also learn something else. We learn how to say, I don't know. Those three words is a true indication to me of whether or not somebody is a committed leader. Because if you think you're infallible and you know everything, you're not going to make it. You just yeah. aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? What well, you will break down if the the pandemic broke leaders down because when the, when we say it's lonely at the top for leaders, it's lonely because they make it that way, 
And that's because they've got this image that they want to portray about they're infallible, they know everything, and therefore that fails. That's, that's not humanly possible. So, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for signs that, uh, that indicate that, that you are a human being who has a skill set and the commitment, intellect, to do the, to do the legacy journey. Uh, and, and I, you know, it's always interesting because there's too many signs. And Andrew, again, I, I would I repeat, I can smell bullshit. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can see it. I know it. It just, and when I see it, we're going to talk about that bullshit mm-hmm. because I, I don't admit it. Uh, it. It just, and if somebody, and by the way, I make this sound so one-sided, but it's not. It is, it, it is a dialogue that takes place where the person that I'm coaching can also say, hey, what are you saying here? Make, make, I, I don't understand this. You need to be clear about this. I'm starting to feel that whatever, if they're not getting the reciprocity from me in this relationship, they need to call me out on it. You know, I need to be present with them every day that we have a conversation. I tell people, I get up at, you know, I, I may do eight coaching calls a day. And there's, I've had coaches who say, that's just incredible. You can't do that. Yes, I can. Because if I've got that level of commitment with each of my clients, every conversation is a transfer of positive energy. And you see, that's what makes it work. I'm as committed as you are to your success. You, you start to finally say, I, I'm not going to disappoint you. And that's what I say back to you. I will do whatever is necessary to make you successful, to help you be successful. And we're in this relationship that suddenly has value to both of us. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love all that. Um, and, and with the 80% of people who come to you, you have to deny, does that mean 80% of the people you talk to, they think they know everything? <laughs> they, well, the first, they, they, they may immediately say, because I, the first phase of my coaching process is we do all sorts of assessments. And one of them is a 360-degree review. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know you. I mean, I may know your reputation. I may check you out. But I need to know what your executive team thinks of you. And your reaction to the results of a 360 gives me insight into you. Mm. Let me give you an example. A bad one. I had a guy who was recommended to me. We had the conversation. He was all about it. He would, Yes, he was prepared. He was ready. He was going to commit. So we did the 360. And uh, and. One of the areas that I find interesting is in the, with my 360, we do one on communication. Why wouldn't you? It's the basis for all relationships on a team, right? You've got to be able to communicate. Well, real quick, uh, for the audience listening, a 360 is essentially, it's, it's, a, it's one of the go-to standard corporate tests that they give people, right? It tells you every aspect of your company, right? Right. Okay. And, and it's, it's a, it's a, I've got a homemade 360 that I've developed okay. over the years. And, and, and it is a, it goes to the executive team. So the people who report directly to the person I'm coaching and that team knows more about him than, or her than they do. Oh they yeah. That's another yeah. big part about the 360. It's cool is that it's not just someone talking about themselves. Part of the 360s, you interview everyone around them and talk about them, uh, right. which is something we all need to do more often. So, yeah, all right, please continue. Yes. So, well, so we have both those. First, we have your self-evaluation, which is answering the same questions that your executive team is going to answer about you. 
And then we get to do the comparison. Who, how you think you do versus how they know you do. Yeah. Because they see your blind spots. They know what you're good at and not. And one of them is always one of them that's mostly most shocking to uh, executives that I coach is when they get the re- they get the results of the section on communication. Because every leader I've talked to believes that they're a fantastic communicator. And that's because they believe in telepathy. <laughs> they think that if they think it, you know it. When the results of that comes back, they're usually shocked about how poorly their team thinks they communicate versus how well they think they communicate. So that always generates an interesting discussion. So back to my uh, back to my example of when something doesn't work. So we go through the assessment process, and this is this is one item of assessment. There are ten of them that I require everybody go through. Uh, arduous, right? It's a very hard. Beginning of the process is the hardest part of the process. So here we go. I get a guy. We we get the three sixty back, and of course it's anonymous, but he knows his team did it. He knows who's on his team. Uh, it's eight people. And he is shocked by the results about how poorly he did in just about every area. <laughs> and uh, and he goes, well, I need to I need to digest this, I need to process. Absolutely. So he calls me a week later and he goes, well, you know, I, I want you to do this one again. I want you to do the 360 deal with my team. And I said, that's not the deal. The deal is at the end of the 12 months, we do a 360. Why? Well, if we compare it to the first one and we compare the last one, we will see whether or not there was progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what you're looking for here. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I'm not silly enough to say that if you think we made progress or didn't, that should be the final deal. I'd like some objective information from people who are impacted by you. So I said, no, uh, that's not what's going to happen. I said, so why do you want it? He said, well, I got my team together and I said, we're going to do this until we get it right. I said, really, that's your opinion about this is that you've basically told them that that they're going to get another opportunity with a 360 to grade you higher than their original grade. (laughs) Needless to say, at the end of that conversation, we ended our coaching relationship. Mm -hmm. So here's an extreme example. But there's always that thing that I'm looking for that tells me you aren't willing to accept coaching because I can't first, I can't coach character. And I know there are coaches who who argue with me about that. No, no, I'm not that good. (laughs) I can coach behavior. I can coach skills. I can do a lot of things. I can't coach character. You either have it or you don't. Now, there are other people who say, well, well, I think I can help them get it. I'm like, better than me. <laughs> yeah, know your strengths. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me is psychology, is psychiatry. I don't know what that is. Maybe you're a priest. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. But I, that's not me. I don't have that skill set, and I recognize when I don't have one. Uh, so, no, that, that, that's exactly what we do. We, we finally have what I consider to be the basis based off the assessments like the 360 personality. Uh, I, I do a, uh, I do emotional intelligence assessment because I believe an essential part of leadership is empathy. And that's a skill set to me. It can also be a character trait, but it's a skill set to me. And I need to know, do you have it? Mm. 
Because if you don't, we need to work on that. So we're able to identify the, the areas that need the work through the assessment process. Based off of that, we can put together the plan for the next year. Yeah, no, I, I love all that. Um, and yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, not enough people know the power of, of personality tests, of assessments. Um, you know, I remember, so I, I was doing my self-development um, progress when I was 16 years old, when I was like, geez, high school sucks. Uh, <laughs> how can I make high school suck a little bit less? Um, and so I remember taking like the DISC test, the uh, Myers-Briggs test, like the Tony Robbins personality test, like all these things. Um, and cause like, cause like what you said, knowing who you are and learning how to cut through your own BS is so essential and so important. Um, and so it's unfortunate not enough people know about these things called 360 tests where you do get feedback from people around you. And so I'm curious too, like your, your, your coaching style. Um, cause I was thinking about, you know, some coaches, this seems like therapists like oh I'm, I'm struggling with this this week I need help with this um, do you kind of hype people up do you only believe in progress do you also prevent going backwards I'm curious about your, your coaching style for people who they're committed they know what they want but uh, they're like how is Paul going to help me get there <laughs> well first legit, very legitimate question the first thing is Whenever we, whenever I, and again, my, my normal cadence is every other week. And now for people, they're like, wow, you expect me to do something within two weeks? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> Let's talk about what that is because yeah. it's baby stepped. I, everybody wants to hit the home run ball. Mm. Uh, and the reality is it is singles, it's doubles. And, and that requires that the action plan have action steps. And we deal with a specific thing. But, but like I said, the whole concept is through the assessment process to establish what you need to do to improve your skill set so you're a better leader. Because this is what this is all about, yeah. is becoming a better leader so you do you create legacy through others. You know, leaders often forget that their legacy is not what they do. It's what their people do, what their team does. And, and that's something that you need to get. So, so if you want to be the best uh, as an individual, that's fine. But that doesn't make you a good team leader. So, so yeah, we're, uh, we're, we, we look at this. In the, but the first, the first question that I ask in every coaching session is, what roadblocks did you face this week? Mm -hmm. Because I, we, we need to talk about those. And, if you've, and, and asking that question Let's the person have a permission to first think about the roadblock and, and then be able to have a discussion about what to do with it. And to me, there are so many roadblocks that we ignore, uh, try to jump over, run through uh, when there's a different way. And, and often the roadblocks are about relationships uh, and the people that you are leading. Uh, the issues that are occurring with those people, uh, as well as your own issues. For instance, we talk about self-care. I don't believe you can be a leader if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. And during the pandemic, leaders fail to take care of themselves. I hated the term pandemic pounds. <laughs> that, yeah. to me was, that, that to me was failure. I was like, are you kidding me? Now's when you don't do it. Well, yeah, but I deserve to have an extra whatever an extra drink, an extra chicken, I don't, whatever you're going to, whatever you're eating. Do you really? Is that your, because you are responsible for other people. So you need to understand that if you are not 
physically and mentally capable of leading, you can't have a high-performance work team. It cascades down. So self-care. I actually have a workbook uh, that that my coaching clients get that requires them during that two-week period every day to list the number of hours they sleep, the number of hours they exercise, and whether or not they're maintaining appropriate uh, hydration and diet. And I have guys who, when they get that, they're like, well, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> then I don't know what you want me to do here. I need to know. I need to hold you responsible. By the way, you can eat whatever you want. But the reality is I want you to see what impact this has on your ability to lead others. Because you are the example. And if you aren't doing the right things to take care of yourself, nobody else is either. Mm -hmm. You are the example. So I want you to be a high-performance leader and that requires you be physically ready and mentally ready for the task that you're going to face every day uh this is why people by the way i everybody is like jesus this i i would never do anything with this guy i'm like well tell me what your commitment is to legacy and i'll tell you whether or not you should yeah mm -hmm. that's it it's a date by the way you build legacy every day it's not i'm going to wait till the last year of my job uh, it's you build it every day in how you perform as a leader. Every day is valuable. You know, I tell people, you think you have enough time? You don't. You don't. The roadblocks that you're going to face that suck time and energy away from you, you don't even know what they're going to be. Let me give you one. The pandemic. <laughs> you think that everybody was suddenly rushing towards legacy during the pandemic? They struggled. Why? The Black Swan event showed up. Yeah. That took two years out of everybody's legacy. Develop, develop resilience, develop coaching, but it certainly took a chunk of time out of everyone's life that they would have devoted to doing other things. I don't know how much time you have left, but I guarantee you it's less than you think. Yeah. No, and... Uh... I also run accountability programs myself because I'm a huge advocate for accountability is that, you know, it goes back to, like you said, a lot of people say they want to do some things. They say they, they want it, but then they don't actually take action because there's no repercussions if they don't take action. They're like, oh, well, at least I thought about it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So uh, I like that uh, you, you monitor people um, on the on yeah. the high level. And of course, if they lie to you, that, that, that's on them. And uh, it goes back to you. You probably see through the bullshit anyway if they, if they try to lie to you. Right. But yeah. when, when, I, when, when I ask you at some point how much do you weigh, you know, and you say, well, I weigh more than what we started, I'm like, well, then you're, you're so you've been feeding me a line of bullshit about how you how you are conducting your life. By the way, I'm not saying don't have dessert. I don't care if you have dessert. But 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 you have to, I, at some point, moderation is a part of living if you want to get the most out of it. And if you've committed to being a leader, you are responsible for other people. This is something you've got, you take on voluntarily. If you choose not to do that, I'm okay with that. But if you're telling me that you want to be this kind of leader, then you have to have the behaviors that go with being that kind of leader. You know, and, and it just, to me, it's, it's a common sense approach. But, but you, you know, and, and you, you mentioned, the, I'm a gym rat. Mm -hmm. And 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm on my way to the gym. 
every day, five days, five days a week. Let's not be an idiot. <laughs> five days a week. I'm out there and I go. And you know what I found out when I have a coach, I work harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know why? He's like, kind of, you kind of sloughing off today, aren't you? What do you mean? Uh, you know what the weight's supposed to be. <laughs> Put it up. Yeah, yep. you're right. Yeah, I, by, by, that's such a simple example. But I know that if I don't have a coach, I'm still going to show up at the gym, but I'm not going to work out with the intensity that I have with a coach. Well, I'm willing to take some guy sticking his boot up my butt five days a week to lift appropriately. And you watch my form. That's bad form. Do it over. <laughs> Gee, seriously? Yeah, seriously. I don't care that you're old. <laughs> Pick it up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah, but 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 uh, but I also have agreed to the program, right? I mean, I'm not a, I, this is not involuntary servitude. I'm asking for this so that I can maintain a level of health physically that allows me to be the best coach possible in my program. I love. That. I don't ask. Don't ask for anybody to do less than me. We're in a partnership, right? We're stakeholders. We both want this to happen. If I say you should do it, believe me, I believe I should do it. Yeah, it goes back to the, the 362 that like our blind spots as well, that uh, as a coach and someone else around you, they can usually see something that you can't. And so until you have that extra quote unquote third, fourth eye perspective, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know that you, you didn't realize that you were slacking off that day. And someone's like, uh, come on, Paul, you're, you're slacking off. You're like, okay, I guess you're right. <laughs> By the way, we are inherently built to relax yes yeah, <laughs> our body yeah. the dna is you don't exert until you have to right because that's how we survive and that hasn't gone away we're not that far removed from climbing out of the trees in the savannah and trying to figure out can i run faster than that lion to get that food so we are inherently ready to relax and there are times for that that's called recovery yeah I believe in recovery. I believe in vacations. Oh, my God. You're in my program and you don't take your vacations. We got a problem. Mm -hmm. I want you to get a different perspective. You know how you get that? You go someplace that you don't speak the language and you immerse yourself in the culture. And I guarantee you it changes your perspective. No, yeah. No, it's... uh... I definitely believe in uh, work hard, play hard, rest hard. <laughs> that, that, that is it. You're not constantly on. you you got to be off, and that's recovery. It's how you recover that we have a discussion about, not if. Yeah. Part of self-care, right? Self-care is how you recover. So anyway, yeah, too much blather about it, but I, I'm a research geek. And I've got enough scientific information to support everything I say. People just don't like to hear it. No, I I, I love it all. Uh, No, it's motivating. It's inspiring. And I love the fact, too, that like you say, whenever you ask someone to do something, um, you don't ask something that you wouldn't do yourself. I know uh, just to counter that, I know that's tricky because, you know, people have different, you know, experiences, skill sets, limitations, like, um, you know, classic examples, like, you know, someone who's in the NBA, if you're 6'6", six, six, it's, it's quote unquote easier than if you're 5'6". Uh, sure. Uh, by the way, I, I'm an old white guy that can't jump. So, yeah, yeah. so let me tell you, when I talk to you about self-care, yeah. I'm not extreme. Yeah. I'm not trying to buff up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm maintaining the level of physical acuity 
so I can do my job because we sometimes forget how connected our physicality is to our job. Yeah. We think if yeah. we're intellectually right, uh, mentally have mental acuity, but our body matters. And more of that needs to be a part of anybody's coaching process. Oh, 100%. Um, so I wanted to get, dive into, I know you talked about earlier, you work with people who are usually in the family businesses. You talked about scaling and growing. Do you help people who are looking to go from zero to one? They're like, hey, Paul, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm working a minimum wage job, but I too want to be a full-time uh, business owner. Do you help those people too? Or is there only certain uh, executive clients you work with? No, you know, by the way, I have, uh, obviously I am motivated by money, but I've got a coaching practice that allows me to accept people into it who can't afford the rate that I would charge. Hmm. Uh, and no, I enjoy that because I need a different perspective too. Hmm. And if I'm only coaching one type of client, I can become myopic. I love getting a, a guy or a woman who wants to, I, I really enjoy coaching women. Yeah. Uh, they have a different attitude about it. And I appreciate the attitude. I appreciate the perspective. But back to this. I love the entrepreneurial spirit because it really pumps me up with somebody who's committed. Once again, you got to be committed to that journey. If you are, I, I would love to have you in the program. Yeah, I love that. And let's talk a little bit about resilience. Uh, I know it's, it's obviously one of your favorite words. Where did that come from for you? How do you define it? How do you teach people about it? Uh, tell me about that. Well, first, obviously, I believe I'm a walking testament to resilience. Obviously, I destroyed my own life, but I had the, uh, and, and creating your own roadblocks is the most embarrassing thing you could do, right? When somebody points it out to you, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I was that stupid. Yeah, you were. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and you overcome that. So yes, my journey, and I believe everybody's journey, and I think I've said this, if not, I'll, I'm going to be repetitive. Uh, once again, it's, it's about recognizing that your life is made up of success and failure. And that's why the uh, yin and yang symbol are so impressive to people. You don't get to escape either one. You hope that the good is going to outweigh the bad, whatever the bad as you define it. But let me tell you, you can't escape it. And we continually try to escape failure. And once we've experienced it, we try to hide it. And I'm actually putting together a TED Talk titled, We Need to uh, Stop Fearing the F-Bomb, Failure. Mm -hmm. And so resilience can only be based when we face adversity, setback, which is failure, and overcome. So you can't be resilient without the test. You've got to test yourself. And one of the things that we've figured out is people try to run away from it. They try to run, run away from adversity because none of us like how it feels to be caught up in something we might not win, right? I mean, uh, people love to play games, but they love to play games when they think they've got the chance to win. So the reality is life doesn't give it to you like that. Life gives you uh, those setbacks, those adversities, those opportunities, uh, the black swan event of the pandemic. Those keep coming at us, whether we like it or not. And rather than run away by staying in our comfort zone, my contention is leaders need to always be looking for trouble because it's out there. And if you're looking for it, you will find it before it gets to you. Mm. And that gives you the opportunity to be prepared. 
And the concept about being resilient has nothing to do how many times I can get hit. It has to do with how many times can I recognize I'm going to get hit and hopefully avoid it or not get hit as hard. But we're not able to do that until we've had the experiences that create our resilient attitude and are always looking for trouble perspective. That's the only way you can develop resilience is you've got to experience the adversity, cope with the adversity, and not over not only survive it, but there's actually a phrase out there, Nassim Talib, uh, with the book Anti-Fragility. And his concept is recovering from a trauma is essential to survival. Resilience is about taking that trauma and turning it into a positive that allows you to bounce forward. That's how I view resilience. It's inevitable that we're going to face the adversity or the setback. We might as well cope, learn how to cope. One of the problems I think prior to the pandemic was we had too much good times and, and people are like, well, you know, why wouldn't we? Well, the problem is that that does not prepare you for the bad times. And I've been around long enough to know that there's always a bad time coming. I just don't know what or where or when. But if I'm paying attention, I can be more prepared. That to me is the definition of resilience. I love that. That's so, that's so well said. I can see why you talk about this <laughs> a, a lot and, and how you're an expert on it. Um, I'm curious if you can give an example of looking for trouble. I, I, I like that phrase is, um, yeah, looking for trouble and playing offense against it versus playing defense against trouble. Like what's an example of how to look for trouble versus waiting for trouble to come to you? Well, if you're a leader of an organization, let me tell you how you go look for trouble. You get your butt out of your office and your bed and you go to the third shift if you have one. You don't tell anybody you're coming. You show up unannounced. You go in and sit down in the cafeteria. You don't let the supervisors or managers come in and sit down with you. And you wait until the employees on their lunch break come and sit down. Now, the first time you do this, they're going to call the police because they don't know who you are. You've never been to the third shift. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm serious about that. They're, they're like, I, you're like the undercover boss, right? Yeah. It's a stupid mm -hmm. show, but, but it's like that. You show up and they're like, who is that guy? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. What's he doing in our cafeteria? You know, I, so you, he's an intruder. So my contention is the third time you show up, unannounced and without an entourage and you don't let the managers or, or supervisors come into the cafeteria you sit there and you know what you start to be perpetually curious you say you have psychological safety to tell me anything and I am curious and I'm going to ask you questions and the questions I call them arduous or audacious audacious questions because once you engage them in this conversation, you will find out what really is going on in your company on that shift. So if you ask how you do this, that's when you go, I'm here looking for trouble. It, it may already be here. I just don't know about it. But if not, I need to find out when it's coming by asking you. If you want to know what's wrong with the process, 
You ask the person who's in the process. And interesting, we talked about roadblocks. Every process is supposed to work, right? I mean, I've never heard anybody say, yeah, I built a process that ain't going to work. But but the problem is situations change, people change, and the process doesn't Mm -hmm. because it's the process. Why would we change it? It's how we do things. The reality is that the people who are tasked with getting things done with a process that doesn't work well anymore, they develop the workaround. And that's when you know that your process is in trouble. When you ask somebody that question, does the process work well? Well, of course it does. Well, tell me how you do this. And when they tell you that they figured a way to do it in spite of the process, that's trouble. Hmm. Those kind of things that you have to be that granular about. But as long as you don't go to the third shift or you sit in your corner office and you get your executive team to tell you how things are going, you don't know how things are going. You're not looking for trouble. Yeah, I, uh, let's see. What, what book am I reading? Oh, so I'm currently reading the book uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. And uh, yes. she talks about the book uh, Good to Great. Um, and I think it was, it was Jack Welch uh, of PGE. Uh, of course, he gets labeled one of the greatest uh, leaders of all time. It definitely helps. He grew like a, several million dollar companies into several billion dollar companies. And she said, it's, it's so fascinating that that is the top mistake that leaders make again and again is they don't talk with their quote unquote lower level employees. <laughs> they just they just assume everything's going okay and uh, trust in the attitudes of their inner circle. Um, and I'm sure that's why the Undercover Boss show, I don't know how real it is because we all know, you know reality TV is also scripted for the most part too, but... It still blows my mind that I feel like this should be common sense and logical knowledge by now that if you're running a big company, you still need to keep tabs with people who are, quote unquote, different tier than you. <laughs> well, and Andrew, the interesting thing is that that when I ask somebody the question, when was the last time you were on the third shift? The answer is crickets. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, seriously, I, I've never had one a client who had a third shift who said, well, yeah, I was there last month. Uh, and, my, and of course, I'm sarcastic. I go, so they're not your employees, right? They're subcontracted. So no, no, they're my employee. Really? It's not a separate company? No. <laughs> then what the hell is your problem? Why aren't you going to the third shift? This is where the action is, by the way. If you want to look for trouble, the third shift is where trouble resides. Mm-hmm. Why? Are this removed from management? Mm-hmm. Right, and that's where bad stuff happens. <laughs> it's it, sexual harassment on the third shift is prolific. You know why? You got a, a supervisor who is in charge of guess what? Somebody's overtime, and if you're an hourly worker, a single mom with kids, you may count on overtime to pay the bills. Yeah, the person is in charge of you has is in charge of giving you overtime. You think you want to irritate that person? It, there's a monetary cost to that. So that may be an extreme example, but maybe not. I don't know the culture, but I do know that if you want to know about your culture as a leader, that's where you go to test it. And just to make sure I'm on the same page to the third shift, that means the, the hours after nine to five, or that means like people. Yeah, that, means, the- well, that, means, that means midnight to eight. Oh, interesting. <laughs> wow. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
And you know what? That actually means as a leader, you got to get your butt out of bed at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know the response? I don't have time. Really? Then you don't have time to be a leader. Mm. You don't. You're not looking for trouble. Be surprised, and you will be. But who wants that? Nobody in business is happy with a surprise. Eliminate them. Do the communication thing correctly. Develop relationships with your employees by showing up like that and saying, I care about what you have to say. And if you do and they say to you something, do something. The first time they tell you something that you know to be true and needs to be changed and you don't do it, don't go back. Yeah. Yeah, they're done talking to you. I love that. I love that. Oh, man, this is so inspirational. Um, and going back to the, the resilience point, what is that top piece of advice you give to people? They're like, you know what, Paul, I need more resilience in my life. What do I need to do to become as resilient as you are? First, I swear that, that you have got to practice coping. Mm. Rather than run away from the hard issues, you need to face the hard issues. And by the way, we have them. They may be personal issues. They may be issues uh, at the job. Uh, but you have to face those issues. If you continue to run away from the issues that have a negative impact on you, you cannot develop coping skills. And therefore, you cannot be resilient. We've managed to avoid so much that the rest of the world has to deal with that we forgot that there are problems that need to be addressed. And I tell you, as a team leader, and you have what I call one of the working dead, <laughs> that's the person who should have been fired yesterday. Mm. And you know why you didn't fire them? Either you didn't have the guts to do it, or you were afraid you couldn't replace them. But let me tell you that that working dead person is toxic. They will infect other people on the team with their attitude. And what you're telling your team is you will allow toxic behavior without there being any repercussion. You destroy your own credibility by your failure to act when you know you should. But you know what? A lot of leaders want to avoid doing the hard thing. And if you don't do that, and it's as a person, if you don't do that, you are not going to be resilient when trouble finds you. And it will. It's part of human life. It, trouble will find you. I love that. It's, uh, yeah, you know, that's something I've learned too. Like when you're doing your goals for the day and your actions, like knowing how to counter what's going to get in your way. You know, it's just like uh, there's the movie um, uh, Usual Suspects. And there's a, yes. a, a famous quote is that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Uh, by the way, he's there. We're just not looking for him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so it's the importance of being aware of, you know, what are the issues you're going to run into? What's going to come that way? So you can be ready rather than going, oh, crap, what am I going to do now? And so yeah, I want to transition a little bit into tell us about being on the Forbes coaching council. Like that, that is so cool. That's awesome. I saw it was invite only. Um, how do you get to that point? What does that consist of? Tell us more about that. Well, at first it is invite only. Uh, and obviously you can ask to be invited by the way, yeah. <laughs> and they, they will make a determination as to whether or not you are qualified to, uh, to join the council. And obviously, uh, it's, it is select. Uh, it's not like very select. I, you know, I have no idea how many members there are. But 
obviously it is, uh, you know, everyone, credentials matter as much as I would like to think they don't, they do. And obviously having that credential, but it also gives me an opportunity to do something that I, I, I don't like to do. Mm. And that is write. I don't like to write. Mm. You can tell by our conversation, I can talk for four or five hours. <laughs> yeah. or on. Uh, all somebody has to do is ask a question I'm interested in and I'm off. Writing is a torturous experience for me. And the, the process of being on the Forbes Coaching Council is it is a rigorous writing experience that requires you support what you have to say with sufficient research. At least that's what it does for me. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that it's a personal opinion. My personal opinion is woven into the topic. But I, I truly believe it. And again, being a critical thinker, I have to present you with evidence other than my opinion so that I can convince you or persuade you that there's something you should do or something you should be aware of. And why? Because I believe that every time I write, it, there's a call to action. And so that being a member of that group forces me to do that very hard task. See, once again, I've put myself, I'll, I'll go back to resilience. I've put myself in a position where I now feel obligated to fulfill my commitment to the council to write. And therefore I do. And it's an honor to be a part of the council. And obviously I then take those articles and I make sure that people in my coaching process, as well as uh, LinkedIn, find out about those because I do think I have something to say. Uh, And I believe that people who join the Forbes Coaching Council do so because uh, not only do they enjoy coaching, but they believe that they have something that they need to say. Hmm. Interesting. I know uh, with other things on Forbes, usually it's pay to play. Is, is the coaching council, is that a pay to play thing too? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, Forbes is not stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not a billionaire because he didn't figure it out. But, but yeah, so it's a, it, it does require that you cough up the, the entry fee mm-hmm. uh, to be allowed to be a member of the club. I accept that as a part of the rules. They're not my rules. I can choose to join or not join. Yeah. I obviously yeah. joined. And like I said, I joined though for a very specific reason. Uh, while I like the camaraderie, I have to admit that I've got a busy life, but the concept of the writing is, it was paramount to me. Interesting. I love that. So pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, being resilient enough to learn how to write your ideas better and put my research behind it. Um, yeah, that, that is a brilliant model by Forbes is, you pay them to work for them to, to put their uh, content for them and put, make their message be heard. With the business model. And I, I, was, honestly, I said, wow, all right, that's different. You know, I usually get paid for my product, yeah. but I've also found that it gives me the opportunity to share something that I would not have created otherwise. No, 100%. It pushes you over the edge. And like you said, add the credibility because, you know, not many people get to say they're Forbes accredited. So it's still a very big deal. And so I have a few questions left here. Uh, The show being Rapid Results, what do you wish you knew earlier in your entrepreneurial coaching journey or building your coaching company that you think would have helped you become successful faster, get paid faster? What are some of the things you wish you were learned early on as you're building your coaching business? You know, that's a, that is truly a tough one. All the questions, I think I've had some ready answers, but that's a tough one for me because it was not what I wanted to be. Mm. So my career was not aimed at becoming a coach. I mean, there's some people who say I, that's what I wanted to do. 
And I think being a corporate person perhaps gives you a better base for that, for being a coach. Uh, I've pretty much been alone. <laughs> I, I tell people I'm not, I don't profess uh, to be good at leading a team. I, I, I would kill them or run them off. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, no, I've recognized that. That's I've never been that. I've, I was a sole practitioner. Uh, when I got out, I decided to be a coach. I didn't go to a coaching group or a coaching company. Uh, so what would I have done differently? I don't know. I, I would, I would always hope that, that I was able to make the, uh, make the trajectory shorter, but I, I have to admit it, it came very natural to me because of my style and how I was going to do it. If I tried to fit myself into some type of a, of a, uh, some standard predetermined standard, uh, I just wouldn't have made it. Uh, it was the freedom for me to put together a program that I felt and <laughs> be prideful about it. I felt it worked for me that I looked at this and I said, this is what I need to get better. So I can't think of anything, honestly, that I would have done different. Uh, maybe I should have charged more. <laughs> that would have been the start. I think that every coach struggles with how much it's worth. And obviously, at the very beginning, I uh, I took on clients and recognized it was a mistake. But I was, I obviously was like, it would be nice to make some money. And by the way, I don't care what your skill set is. I thought I was developing one. You still have to practice it. And I guess that first, I don't know, year, year, yeah, maybe a year, year and a half, it was practice. And at the end of that, I was like, okay, I think I've got this. I think I, I, I can tell I'm having results. Uh, by the way, I'm too cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and at that point, and that's tough for everybody, I think. When you start off, you're like, well, if I don't do it, I can't get business. If I can't get business, blah, blah. We all, we all go through that. By the way, so much of that is fear-based, not reality-based. My contention is that if you've got the right product, you can charge what it's worth and not what you think it's worth. And there's a difference. And the difference, of course, is what the consumer of that product is willing to pay. And uh, and I looked around at the uh, examples, and Marshall Goldsmith is my hero because he doesn't he charges a flat fee, mm -hmm. and he and that's where I I picked up the I'm not as brave as he is about a hundred percent of my compensation is based on outcome. Wow! Uh, because I don't, but his is wow. And, yeah. And I said, man, that guy, that guy, that, that is, that is saying, I believe I can do this for you. I believe it. And therefore I'm willing to put myself at risk. And I do that again, the way I've structured it, I do the same thing, I, but I don't go all that. Maybe I should, I guess I'm talking <laughs> to myself and I'm like, why not? Yeah. Uh, but the reality is that my, my structure has worked well. And, uh, and so, yeah, I guess I would look at that and go, uh, took on some bad clients at, at the beginning and the compensation, uh, was definitely not what it should have been, but that was a learning experience. Definitely. And, and going back to so you said the guy's name was Marshall Goldsmith. You said his name? Yes. Marshall and, Goldsmith. Yes. So when he talks to people, he says, you only pay me based on the money that you make while you work with me. No, he says, I, I, here's a flat fee, and at the end of the 12 months, you're going to decide whether or not you're going to pay me anything. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is bold. <laughs> you at least take 50% down. And I, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate, you know, by the way, I got, 
I have all sorts of axioms since I've been doing this for a while. I don't believe that any leader should be in their position unless they are bold. Mm-hmm. He's bold. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, and uh, it goes back to, yes, when I was learning how to be a high ticket coach, you know, one of the things I did learn is the importance of, like you said, taking clients that you, that you know you can help. And that, that makes perfect sense now. I just made that link that one of the examples that my coach at time taught me is just like, lawyers won't take clients that they don't think they can win with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so it makes a lot more sense that you apply that as a coach. You're like, oh, I can help you. I can't help you. I can't help you. I can't help you. So that makes a lot more sense of how to help, I guess, to decipher who you can and can't help. And that's why you have such a high success rate with people that you do help. And so has anyone, or I don't know if Kripal is sharing, but how many people have said, too bad, Paul, I'm not giving you that 50%, you're an awful coach. Like, how many people have done that to you in 12 months? Never happened. Wow. We've <laughs> been doing this uh, for, what, 2001, 20 years. It's never happened. And it's been like 100, 100 plus people, 200 plus people? Easy hundred. I'd have to set out and count them out. Uh, but no, I've never. Uh, I have never had a person who said, "I'm not going to pay you that money because we didn't get there." Uh, and, and once again, it's a very strenuous uh, approach. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. We, and I know right away whether or not you're in. Like I said, I, I'm more than happy to have you bail. But you have to understand that at some point, I put a lot of time, effort, and my commitment into this. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, and, and but again. It's all the selection process, isn't it? No, it's I mean, true. To me, to me, that's where a lot of people make their mistake. If you hire badly, don't expect to have good employees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're hiring the working dead, well, that's what you've got. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a, a, a saying, uh, my gosh, I'm sorry, sorry, I missed the name, but he said, one of the questions you should always ask when you don't like uh, your workforce is, were they dead when you hired them, or did you kill them? Plus, did you hire them that way? And if you did, why? Yeah. Uh, so, so no, and and I make it. I guess I speak so much about legacy uh, that I had someone who asked me just recently said, "So, what's your legacy?" My legacy is built on the people that I help create their legacy. Mm-hmm. That's where I get my meaning, my purpose. And it's very fulfilling when it happens. And that's why the program is structured. When I tell people, you will get what you want out of it. But you know what? I'm going to get what I want out of it. Yeah. And that's reciprocity. And I'm okay. And, and I think people should be okay with that. Yeah. How many clients are you currently balancing at a time? Or have you ever been with out? I've got 48. 48 clients that you're co- that each have 12 month <laughs> 12 month deals huh <laughs> yeah and obviously the, the 12 months don't they didn't all start at the same time yeah so they're ending at the same but right now 48 people and it's bi-weekly calls so you talk with each of those people every other week uh yeah and now that standard uh usually uh, if you decide, and, and I've got quite a few that have been in my program longer than I think they should, <laughs> I'm not going to believe, yeah. but, but, but usually about year three, we go to once a month. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That way it makes more sense. By the way, the condition is always, if you need me, call me. Mm, yeah. I text me and say, I need 15 minutes. And that happens with all of my clients, regardless of when we're speaking, I don't care if it's two weeks or a month. What, what I want is, you know, that if you faced a roadblock that you need help, look, 
the concept of, of coaching is weird because you may very well know what to do, but you're not, you know, the concept is I'm not going to tell you. Uh, you're supposed to figure this out on your own. Yeah. And I'm okay with that concept until you as my client are going under for the third time. Mm-hmm. That, then I'm not going to let you drown. That's crazy to me. So what I'm going to do is say, look, I'm going to offer you my opinion. And it's based on experience dealing with something either the same or similar to your situation. You then get to take what you want out of that opinion and fashion your own response. But I'm not going to tell someone I'm not participating in that process. I am. So if you have a problem and it's we've just talked and guess what? The next day your boss called you in and suddenly there's a problem and you need some advice. You need to call me and we'll have that 15 or 20 minute discussion. That allows you to hear a different perspective that will hopefully and often does give you the information or the perspective to go back and resolve an issue. Well, I love that amount of, amount of care that you're putting to your clients. Like uh, we, we need we need more of this because it's uh yeah I think people said one of the biggest issues with the industry is that you know a lot of marketers don't know how to coach and a lot of coaches a lot of great coaches don't know how to market and so uh, <laughs> uh, learning at how much you care about your clients is awesome. Um, and yeah, as you wrap up here, a couple more questions. How do you make sure to surround yourself with the right people? to get you to where you are now to learning how to help people thrive and make sure you're still taking care of yourself and thriving yourself. How do you go about starting yourself with the right people that way? Cause obviously that's what got you in trouble the first time around. How'd you make that adjustment? Well, it first, you know, it is experience. A lot of it is experience. I've been doing this for a while now. So I may, maybe I'll make it sound either harder or easier, depending on what the topic is. But the reality was that I knew that I had to have a support group. So I reached out and, a coach who doesn't have a coach isn't a coach. Mm -hmm. And I reached out and found through a variety of sources, support groups that I would be a member of for at least a period of time until I felt that either I'd gotten what I needed out of the group or I didn't have anything else to add to the group. Uh, and I continued to that day, to that day. I mean, we've, the Forbes coaching council is an example of that. I pay attention to what other coaches are doing. Not necessarily that I'm going to participate or emulate, but it, it's always good to hear somebody else's approach. And there's always conversation boards that we can be a part of. Plus, I have my own personal coach. I talk to them once a month. So how many coaches do you, you currently have? Uh, you have the training coach, you have a personal coach, you have a Forbes professional coach. How, how many other coaches do you have? Then I have my wife. <laughs> that counts too. <laughs> she's my she's my moral compass. I know I've, I've got three, and that's right now. And it's up been up to five, depending on the situation. And I will reach out uh, to people that I consider to be mentors with a specific issue. Mm, I love that. Oh, I think you you've got you look. Uh, if you if somebody has trod the same path you're on. Why wouldn't you figure out by talking to them the, the pitfalls, right? Yeah. I mean, I, if you're traveling and it's, you know, our, our paths are never identical. I understand that. But you know what? If we're headed in the same direction, I guarantee you that 80% of our journey is similar. The old 80-20 rule, right? Uh, and I would prefer to know how you got to where you're going 
so I can perhaps get there faster, easier. And uh, for instance, I'm, I'm trying to do a TED Talk now. And I've got a TED Talk. I've got a talk. I don't have a TED Talk. I've got a talk. It's called Everyone Needs a Fool in Their Life. Imagine that. And it talks about the need for having a person who will give you the gift of truth. Mm-hmm. And I weave my own experience into that because I did not have that. They were there, but I refused to use them. And I believe that as a leader or as a person, you need to have fools in your life who care enough about you and know you well enough to be to give you the gifts of truth. Then you have to give them permission. You have to give them psychological safety. So I put this thing together, and I did it by going one day a week, five weeks in a row to New York City, and working with a presentation coach. Hmm. I'm pretty good at talking, and I've done a lot of presentations, but this is a specialty item, TED Talk. It's not my gig. Uh, how it's done is not me. Uh, I, the gestures are restrained. You stand in a red circle. I'm a pacer on stage. Yeah. So I went there, and, and for five weeks, I took five days of coaching, and then we had a we had a, a actual presentation under the TED uh, the TED rules. That was a coach. Yeah. Specific yeah. topic, want to do this. That's how I approach life. Otherwise, I'm not saying I couldn't have done it, but <laughs> time, energy, and resources are limited for all of us. Yeah. We need to determine where we're going to expend them. And this is something I want to do, and I don't want to spend a, a year trying to figure it out if I can do it in six months. Coaching should help you achieve your goal by helping you figure out the best way to do it. No, 100%. No, I 100% agree. Is Yeah, why make the same mistakes as others? And yeah, coaches help you get there faster. So, uh, no, well, this has been an incredible interview, Paul. Thank you so much. As we uh, wrap up here, um, two more questions for you. First question is, how can people get a hold of you? If they're like, oh my gosh, I got to talk to this guy more. I want to connect with him or learn more about him, what, he, what his content is. What's the best way people can get a hold of you? It's an email or LinkedIn. I don't do any other social media if I can help it. Uh, so so it's all at paulglovercoaching.com. I answer every email. And uh, LinkedIn is paulglovercoaching. And I, like I said, you can post on LinkedIn. Uh, you could easily uh, send me an email. I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody. It's just what I do because, uh, again, I believe in paying back. You know, we talked about the entrepreneur, somebody coming in. That's part of paying back. And, and I, am, I am acutely aware of how grateful I should be and am for my life. And I do that every day with gratitudes. And therefore, when somebody reaches out to me, I will reach back. Uh, so that's the way. And I'm, I'm going to ask uh, a favor of you. And that is I have my presentation on a reel. And in your show notes, I would like to put the YouTube link so that anyone who wants to can go and see why they should have a fool in their life. Yes, I love that. No, please send that over. I'll definitely put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the comments because this is live streamed on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. So I'll definitely put that in and uh, we'll make sure that we'll know how to get a hold of you. And the final question is for today is what is the one takeaway that you want people to have from our, our conversation from today? You know, I guess one of the things that we've talked about extensively is resilience. 
and I say something that people are like, uh, that's just bullshit, don't give up. If it matters to you, don't give up. If it doesn't matter, don't do it. <laughs> Simple, right? But if it matters, I don't care whether it's relationship, uh, a career, whatever it is, don't give up. I, I truly believe that if you are committed to something, you will get there. May not be as quickly as you would like. It may be harder than you think. But by the way, I see, and, and this is something we've gotten away from. I do believe that good things are harder to get than you expect. That's it. Don't give up. And if it's something you don't care about, don't do it. You're wasting your time, energy, your life. Oh, uh, makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, well, thank you again, Paul. This has been awesome. Definitely make sure to uh, check out Paul on, on LinkedIn, send him an email, and we will see you all next week with another episode of App Results. So take care, everyone. Cheers. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.